My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to speak today. Usually I end up uh, playing music, which I love to do, but it was really nice just to worship. So thanks, worship team, and thanks for worshiping with me, all you uh, out here. Um, Hey, uh, we have been in a wisdom series that Tim has been preaching from, and so I would like to continue in that. And um, I'm a little bit out of practice. I used to do this a lot more often, and so I'm going to do my best this morning. But as sort of a um, a mind warm-up for us all, um, I wanted to invite you to participate in a little just kind of brain activity with me this morning. How many of you know and like the game Balderdash? If you don't know Balderdash, basically you're given a word that you don't know because these words are so obscure that, well, any, the normal people in the room won't know them. So if you know this, you're not normal. Um, what I'd like to do, because we're going to be talking about words today out of Proverbs 12, um, I want to give you a couple words. And I invite you to think for a moment about what that word might mean. And if you think you know what this word might mean, or you have just a really awesome definition for what this word should mean, I want you to raise your hand and and I invite you actually just to say it loud so we can can hear it. So I got three words, three different parts of speech, by the way. So um, I'm not even going to give you which one is which. I'm just going to let you try to figure it out. So let's go ahead and put up our first word. The first word is diesel. What the heck does diesel mean? Now, if you really do know, I, man, I would be so impressed. But even if you don't know, I would like to hear some good suggestions. What should this word mean? Anybody have an idea? What should diesel mean, Jesse? To remove a windowsill. I diesel that sucker. All right. Uh, what else? Anybody have any other ideas? So that, that was more of a verb. Anybody got a noun? What's a diesel? Else? A dead weasel. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> That's great. Um, anybody else have an idea? We've got, yeah, Paul. A, a contraction, okay. Diesel do. Yeah, that's right over my head. I'm sorry. Is that? <laughs> can somebody explain this to me? Diesel do. Got it. I am a morning person, believe it or not. No, the real definition, if we could put it up on the screen for everybody, it's an adverb. It means clockwise, following the direction of the sun's movement in the northern hemisphere. So you can use that this week and impress people. All right, next word. I got three of them. Paganip. What is paganip? I would like to know. Can somebody tell me? Eric. <laughs> The Dutch holiday beverage. A little poganip, a little too much poganip for you, I think. All right. Um, who else? What do you guys think? What is poganip? Any, anybody from Colorado, Idaho, any, in that area? Because this word actually originates from over there. I need at least another suggestion. We got a noun. Anybody got an, a, a verb? Yeah. You could make it past tense if you want. Poganipping? Anybody ever go poganipping? It's got to stir up some images. (laughs) No? All right, we'll go on. Let's see what the definition is. A frozen fog formed in the coldest valleys in the mountain valleys of Idaho, Nevada, and Colorado. Apparently, it's very dangerous. You breathe it in, and it could actually cause you big problems. All right, last one, and my favorite one. Bathetic. It's very close to what you would think, actually. (laughs) Yeah, Levi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Was that a swim around over here? Somebody feels really sorry for Levi right now. <laughs> Is there ranch dressing involved in this bat? No, no. Okay. Bathetic? A, a small bath. Uh, this, is a, this is a pathetic bath. Yeah. Jean? Pertaining to ancient England as in bath. Very close. Next one. Or uh, the definition is? It's an adjective effusively or insincerely emotional. So you can actually say to someone, you're pathetic and mean it. And they'll say, don't you mean pathetic? No. No. So, uh, words. Uh, words conjure up images. Words, um, they put shape and form to ideas that are in our minds, and they make them concrete. Um, They actually are the way that we as human beings take the ideas and things that are within us, and we make them communal. We make them real. They actually become real, which is why I called this message um, Real Words. The realness happens when we speak the word. It takes that idea or hint of something and gives it that shape. And the realness affects things. The realness of the words we speak affects us, and it affects other people, and it affects things we can't even see. Um, In fact, uh, there's some really interesting studies going on right now that show that the words we use shape our own brains and the brains of our hearers, depending on the words we use. Our physical brains shape, so words have power. So it's not surprising that in the book of Proverbs... Um, words is one of the main themes. It comes up over and over, how we use our words, except they use the mouth and the tongue and the lips, and they talk about all these, these things that really are the expressions of how we speak. So what I want to do is sort of use a few verses out of chapter 12 of Proverbs uh, to illustrate this and to show just how important Proverbs says that, that our words are. I'm going to put up this next scripture says that that words have the power of death and life. I mean, what's bigger than that, right? What is more impactful to human beings than life and death, our beginning and our our physical end? So if that's the case, today I want to invite you. Um, I want to invite you with me as we talk for a few minutes to consider the words that you use, why and how you use them, and also to be open to considering God, are you inviting me into a better way? Are you, are you offering your help to me for this upcoming season? Maybe it's part of your celebration of Ash Wednesday and as we move into the Lent season approaching Easter. Maybe it's a, an, just a regular exercise that you want to develop on your own life or something you feel like you, uh, you're being invited by the Holy Spirit into. But would you just be aware with me this morning? And to prepare us for that, I want to pray because this is not exactly an easy subject to think about. So would you pray with me? God, our, uh, our hearts are open to the extent that we can make them, and we are fully dependent and reliant on your grace to speak to us and show us uh, where you want to take us. Um, we would desire the right things, God, but we would have no way to get there without you. So we're very confident this morning that you're with us and that um, you will make all things possible in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our first verse and these are kind of extreme verses, so just hang with me as I read them, okay? So first verse of Proverbs twelve thirteen. Ready? An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. In these chapters that we're in, it's really chapters about 10 through 22. These are attributed to Solomon, and most of them are done in this couplet form where there's sort of 
uh, a contrast being drawn. And you can see the contrast because I bolded it. What's the contrast? The sharp contrast is to be ensnared versus to escape trouble. And the idea behind this really is that trouble's waiting, right? Trouble's around every corner. Jesus even said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But the key difference between someone who gets ensnared in those troubles and someone who escapes them, according to this wisdom speaker, is the transgression of the lips. That sounds pretty extreme to me. And yet, I actually don't think so. I think it's a pretty regular thing. Um, Maybe transgressing is not just saying like the worst, most horrible thing you could think of, but maybe it's actually this idea that the word transgress literally comes from. It literally means to step across, to go outside of the boundaries. Uh, When we pray the prayer, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, same concept. It's a trespass. I went somewhere that I shouldn't have gone. And in, in in the context of our words, we overspeak. We say things that were not ours to say, or we, or we go beyond what has been given to us to say. And man, that happens in a lot of situations. Maybe it's just simply talking too much. Like, can that be a form of transgressing with your lips? Um, one of my favorite uh, pieces of music lately is from the soundtrack of Hamilton, which um, is not all family-friendly, and so we have the curated version that my kids and I love to listen to. Um, but in one of the opening dialogues between the two main characters, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, Hamilton is this young 19-year-old kid. He's just gotten in America, and he's excited, and, and everybody's kind of impressed by how verbose he is and all the language he uses, and he, he's impressing everybody. And he meets Aaron Burr, and he's impressed with Aaron Burr, who's a little bit older, who went, went to Princeton College, and and he's, and he's saying, basically, I want to get together with you. I, I, you know, I want to meet you. I want to know how you did what you did. And Aaron Burr says, yeah, let's, let's get a drink, but let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. <laughs> that is his advice. Talk less. And that theme comes back over and over and over. And Hamilton does get in a lot of trouble, actually, because of his words. Um, but we overspeak for all sorts of reasons, don't we? Might just be a sense of insecurity. I got to fill that void. Um, It might just be that I kind of like showing off the things that I know about. I know all the lingo. I know all the ins and outs. I've heard all the bits of news, and I love to share it. Um, It might be that we use words to manipulate or or to control situations or people or outcomes. Or it might be that sometimes it just feels good to talk, right? Those aren't necessarily all bad things, but they can be used in ways that are actually kind of against the purposes of God. And I'll use myself as an example. For me, one of the ways that I overspeak is this, I say yes when I should say no. And it's very, very difficult for me to say no, even when I know, like in the core of my being, I know I need to say no to this. It is so difficult to get that no out of my mouth sometimes, and I say yes. And then what's the problem? What's the danger? What's the trap that I have just ensnared myself in? I do not have the grace now to do what I just agreed to or to say to what I just said yes to. And so now I'm stuck. I either have to go back on what I said, which, does anybody find that easy? No. <laughs> to go back and say, actually, I misspoke. <laughs> I overspoke. I should have said no, but I said yes. That's extremely difficult. Or I find myself trying to function in ways that are beyond my capacity or grace for the season. So by contrast here, the righteousness is only saying what I believe I've been given to say. And the beautiful thing about that is I escape all forms of trouble. How nice is that? Just by not doing something. 
Um, let's look at the next verse. This is Proverbs 12, 18, a little farther down in the chapter. It says, there are those whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. So here again is our contrast. We have wounding, damaging words, and we have healing words. And the key difference is rash words. Now, rash, again, that sounds terrible. You would never think of yourself as a rash talker. You know what rash literally means? Too hasty. (laughs) Too quick. And so now immediately probably some of our minds are thinking, okay, how hasty is too hasty? Do I have to wait till they finish the description of the entire movie before I tell them my opinion of the movie? Do I have to let them finish their whole point before I give my rebuttal or even start crafting my rebuttal? How, how quick is too quick? And if that's how your line of thinking is going, I might encourage you to ask a better question, which would be how long is too long to wait? Have you ever waited too long to respond? I'm curious. Has anybody ever, yep, that was too long. <laughs> I can see a couple of us. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> it wasn't to me. I don't, I don't know what you're referencing. But yes, I think it's very rare to wait too long. And what would be the harm in waiting a little bit too long, right? I don't see any Proverbs saying, there are one whose words take so long, they're like sword thrusts. No, it's the, it's the rash words. It's the hasty words that get us into trouble. Um, why do they have such a capacity for healing? Why is that? Why do quickly spoken uh, words that, that don't have a lot of consideration in them have that tendency? Now, they don't always have to. Oftentimes, rash words are spoken out of love or excitement or joy, and that's fine. But often they're not. Words spoken without consideration are often spoken impulsively, right? We're reacting to something that we've heard, something that was said to us. And that reaction is it's an emotional reaction. Um, it's, it's something has been... Uh, been plucked within us, something has been triggered within us, and we have this thing that rises up, and it just comes out of our mouth, right? Um, And those ones are often rooted in negative or painful experiences. And have you noticed that it's difficult to speak words of healing when you're speaking out of woundedness and pain? It doesn't really work that way. Um, But it's easy to get triggered. And um, so I thought, because this is kind of a heavy topic, I wanted to share with you some of my favorite triggered memes Um, Now, many of you will not think these are funny, and that's okay with me. I think they're hilarious. I don't know why. I've showed these to people, and I've cracked up and watched them just stare like, yeah, that's that's a thing. Um, But I'm going to show them to you anyway because I've been waiting for opportunity. Now, there's a little bit of a joke in each of these. So, Michael Phelps. And if you can't see up at the top of the sign, it says gold and silver. And down below, it says silver, and Michael Phelps is triggered. See, that's about what I expected, that amount of laugh. So there's a little bit of an inside joke. You've got to know. Okay, let's go to the next one, though. They, they get better. It's just that little thing that triggers you. Yeah, let's play an innocent game. Rock, paper, scissors. Paper? Paper covers rock, right? If you don't know, that's the rock, Dwayne Johnson. Okay. And the last one, which is my favorite, Mr. Clean. <laughs> The reason I like these um, is because they are everyday, mundane, normal things in life, and yet they can trigger, that just the right thing can trigger that part of you that wants to react, right? Just that little thing that's spoken, because we all have a, a history of experiences, and certain things, unbeknownst often to the speaker, will trigger us in that way. And then what comes out looks something like one of those pictures. 
And when we respond out of that pain and hurt, we tend to hurt other people. But in contrast, just a moment. Just think for a second what that moment looks like and what that feels like for you. When something is spoken, you hear something, something comes at you, and in that moment, you're triggered. Something has been triggered. What does that moment of pause, of hesitation, of consideration look like and feel like for you? That is such an important moment. In fact, the wisdom of Solomon is saying this, this will make all the difference. This is the difference between walking around and hurting people and having the opportunity to do something that is so much better. And it's not just avoiding hurting people. It's actually the moment to speak a word of healing. Because in that moment, and many of you will have recognized this, in that moment of pause and hesitation, we can give room to God. And in that moment, there is a space where the Holy Spirit can speak. And not only can you avoid saying something that would have been painful to another person, but you can actually be invited in that moment to bring healing into the world with a simple word. And I believe that there are, there's no such thing as an unimportant human being. We are all eternal. We are all made in the image of God. We are all in, invaluable. And therefore, there are no unimportant interactions between people. The smallest interaction has even the most amazing possibilities. So my responsibility as I look at it as a Jesus follower is to always be listening and open to that moment of pause so the Holy Spirit has room to come and speak to me. And in that moment, to be willing to risk following that nudge rather than my own reaction. Okay, let's look at our last verse. This is Proverbs 12, verses 19. Truthful lips will endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So the contrast here, endurance versus this fleeting moment. Um, This is a difficult subject um, because lying, like trespassing or rashness, seems like such a terrible thing. If you called someone a liar, would that not be like one of the worst insults you could, you could actually give? I mean, I don't even know that I've ever called someone a liar. It just seems like such a terrible thing to say to someone. It would be such an insult. Um, and yet, you know, when we find someone lying, or as a parent, if you discover like your child has lied or said, said something that's not true, there is this deep offense that takes place that we have to be so careful about. It feels like such a betrayal to be lied to. Am I correct? It feels like such a betrayal. But honestly speaking, no one can tell the complete truth all the time. You can't do it. And it's not just because we're fallen creatures. It's because it wouldn't work. If you tried to tell the truth all the time, you would make a mess. Um, It would offend other people, sometimes as much as lying. Um, And it uh, it it would be too much for anyone around you to handle, right? I mean, we get asked questions all the time. We have to decide, how much do I say? What's the right thing to say in this moment? And so the temptation is to think, um, well, is it either a lie or the truth, and I can only speak one or the other? This is sort of a binary way of thinking. But I'm just going to share with you that that's really not, I think, the purpose of this. I, I don't think the goal of this is to think in a legalistic sense, what exactly is always a lie, and what exactly is always the truth, and how do I never lie Because sometimes it's hard to tell, like in this statement that Joni's going to put up for us. This statement is a lie. There's a problem with that. This has bothered philosophers and mathematicians for a long time. Because if the statement is true, then it's a lie. But if it's a lie, then it's true. 
You follow? And sometimes life is like this kind of a statement. If I say the truth, I'm actually causing a problem that doesn't work. I have to figure out, we all have to figure out how to craft our words, and we do it all day long, all the time. I think you would go crazy if you tried to figure out what it looked like to try to speak exactly only the truth all the time, because I don't think it always works. So how can we think about this statement then? What if we think about intent and consequences? Intent and consequences. And I'm going to use Jesus' statement about words to kind of illustrate this, and we'll come back to it. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, to always, oh, I think we have this on the screen too, always let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that any more from this comes from the evil one. And why is it so hard? Just think for a second. Why is it so hard when somebody asks you a question, often just to say yes, or just to say no? There was a movie a while back with uh, Robert Redford as a politician, and in his campaign, he would get asked questions that politicians get asked all the time. Like, hey, what do you think about this, this issue? Are you for it or against it? He'd go, I'm for it. And then he wouldn't say anything. And everyone would wait for the rest of the response. And there was none. And it was so weird. They weren't used to that. Why can we not just say yes or no? We have lots of reasons, right? Um, reasons like uh, sometimes... We use more words so that we can sound good without maybe having to commit to something. Like, hey, can you help me move this Saturday? I would love to help you move. I think I've got some stuff going on, but I'm going to check, and I'm going to get back to you. And thanks for letting me know. I I hope I can be there. Get in the car. (laughs) Escape that one. We use all sorts of words to escape situations. We also use words to make ourselves look better, right? So... If someone maybe has a different political leaning than you and they come and ask, hey, how did you, did did you vote in that last election? How do I escape this situation? (laughs) How do I not look bad in their eyes or or disagree in a way that's going to ruin our friendship? Because that seems to be happening a lot these days. Or we use words to hide the fact that we don't know. And this applies to pretty much everything. I am so guilty of this. I will speak in the most about the things that sound reasonable to me as though I am an expert on the subject often. I'm not doing that this morning, by the way. Trust me. Um, but my wife let me know once. She said, you know, <laughs> she, she told me that this was happening. I said, no, I don't or whatever. And I think it was in the week that I had done it at like half a dozen times. And I went back to her and I was like, okay. <laughs> How long has this been going on? Um, <clears throat> so I do it. And it's because, you know, it sounds good to me, right? Um, well, The consequence of this kind of dialogue is actually a lack of trust between people. The consequence of using words in these ways is that we don't show each other the real me, and so we rarely feel like we can actually trust each other. Um, Similarly, uh, when it comes to telling the truth in this verse or, you know, some other version of the truth, I won't call it lying, we'll just call it some other version of the truth, it is so tempting to tell a version of the truth that puts me at an advantage, that lets you hear what I want you to hear and allows me to get what I want out of this conversation. And the eternal versus the momentary nature of these interactions is simply the consequence of living that way. It's like this. In every interaction, in every conversation, I have an opportunity to serve myself or to serve you. It's that simple. Now, if you think about just the simplest interaction you have, let's say at a grocery store with a teller or at work with someone who you're, you know, cubicle neighbors with or somebody in your house, every conversation provides an opportunity to serve the other person or to serve myself. And by serving myself, 
I get to build my little kingdom. But by serving them, I build God's kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom. My kingdom's not going to last very long, to be honest. And it constantly seems to be getting torn down as I try to build it up. But God's kingdom will last forever. So in summary, I have three, uh, three little points that I think would be good recommendations for us. We're going to put them up at the end. First, we can boil it all down to this. Say only what you have to say. Second, err on the side of waiting too long to speak, if you dare. And third, focus on serving others when you speak. And if we do that, I think we will grow in our wisdom.